0: Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible and then your iPad, a notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you get the most out of today's sermon, and please enjoy our Sunday message. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'll ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You know, seeing those children up here today with their families, you know, young hearts that we've been asked to help shepherd and shape, I can't help but think of the common warning, handle with care. They're young hearts, fragile hearts, that we as a church family have been asked to help handle with care. We've all heard, read, and said, and maybe even prayed those three words, handled with, handle with care. Maybe when you're passing a newborn to an excited older sibling for the first time. Uh, handle with care, Or maybe you're packing and, and moving irreplaceable, fragile items. Or maybe you are helping a vulnerable, ill, or discouraged loved one. In whatever case, the need is the same. That we proceed with caution, that we speak with compassion, and that we handle with care in those moments. And the care with which we handle a situation, it reflects its perceived worth and perceived fragility. I mean, there are times we care for things that are nearly unbreakable just because they're expensive and they're costly. You think of a new vehicle, fairly robust, fairly strong, but it's expensive, it's costly, and so we care for it. Or you think of a a strong marriage, typically a marriage is quite robust and strong, but we care for it because it's a costly thing. We invest in it, we're thoughtful about it, we handle it with care. But then there are things that are inexpensive, that we care for, that are fragile. Think of a Christmas ornament. Not very expensive, but it can break so easily. Or your pastor's ego, you know, so so cheap, but so fragile. Handle with care. You know, but when something is both of those things, both costly and fragile, then we definitely want to take steps to handle with care. And we're going to be reminded today that the good news of Jesus Christ is both of those things. The gospel is precious and invaluable, and I don't think I need to convince any of you of that. But it's also fragile in that it can be distorted. And it can be attacked and obstructed and obscured. And so we as recipients of and beneficiaries of that gospel, we must protect it. We must defend it. We must handle it with care. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Let me read our text for us this morning before we get into some of the details. I'm going to read, starting in verse 24 of chapter 1 through to chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea. And for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As we looked at last week, earlier in chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul has just finished singing the praises of Christ in that beautiful Christ hymn. And then he called for God's people to cling to Christ with all they've got. And now here we come to a section of scripture where he describes a precious revelation that has now been manifested in Christ. Something that was always known in the mind of God the Father but has now been revealed to the world. Something that has been concealed but has now been made known. This is what the New Testament oftentimes calls a mystery. You may be familiar with that term in the New Testament. It doesn't mean something to be figured out, like sleuthing. It means something that was hidden before and has now been revealed. In fact, it says that in verse 26 that we just read. The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. Something has been made known, and Paul's excited about it. And whatever it is, it is precious and it is costly and needs to be handled with care now before we get to the content of the mystery let's first notice the method of its revelation because paul spent some time talking about how it came to be known to the people of god and we know ultimately it's from god right it's god's mystery that he's revealing in fact it says this in verse 25 it says of this church paul says i was made that's passive i was made a minister according to the stewardship from god And then verse 27, "...to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles." So we know, and it's no surprise to us, that this mystery, this new revelation, this precious thing, is from God. But it's also from God through Paul. And more specifically, it's from God through Paul who suffers. He says that in verse 24 as we open the text. "...now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. It brings Paul joy to suffer, to bring forth this mystery on behalf of believers. To make known what was unknown before. He counts it joy. I suffer, but that's okay. And I suffer on behalf of believers. Those in first century Colossae and those in 21st century Oakville brings me great joy because it is a precious thing I'm bringing forth. I can't help here but think of the scene in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles in the early church were abused and beaten and spat on and hated and reviled. And it says in chapter 5, verse 41, they got up and rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. I feel like that's Paul here, true to his apostolic title. He counts it joy to suffer just to bring forth this mystery to the believers this revelation, this new revelation, it came through suffering. Now the next phrase, if we look at verse 24, can be a bit confusing. It says, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now right away, we need to acknowledge that Paul is not claiming that Christ's sufferings were somehow incomplete and needed to be topped up by Paul, right? That's not what he's that's not what he's saying. In fact, if we think back to the Christ hymn we looked at last week, he would just finished bragging about the opposite. You know, how, how Christ is sufficient. Everything he's done is perfect. So he can't mean that. So the question is, what does he mean here in verse 24? Well, as it usually does, it helps if we keep reading into verse 25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of The word of god so not only does this new revelation come through paul's suffering but we see here it comes through his serving and his teaching his stewardship and his preaching so paul gave paul a commission he gave paul a task that he was to carry out faithfully and fully and we say okay what was that task specifically well he tells us the preaching of the word of god and this i think is what he means when he says filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions See, Christ suffered all that was needed on the cross to atone for the sins of the world. He did. Everything was accomplished on that cross. But that news still had to be proclaimed to the world. And the proclamation of that came with, guess what? It came with suffering, as Paul will testify to. So there is suffering that accomplished what needed to be accomplished, but it is filled up as the suffering continues, as the message is propagated. Think of a delivery room. When a baby is born, there's great joy in that room. The joy is complete because of the finished work of the mother. Hallelujah. And yet the joy is spread. It is filled up as the news goes out to family and friends. The spreading of that news doesn't diminish the perfect joy in that room, but it is made complete as it goes out. That is kind of the picture here in Colossians chapter 1. This is how the precious mystery was made known. From God, through Paul, through Paul, a man suffering, serving, and teaching. Now to the content of the mystery. What was this new revelation? What was this news? Well, first, it's that all people are invited into saving union with Christ. All people are invited into saving union with Christ. Let's back up and read in verse 25 again through to 27. Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, Bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. And we're still saying, What is it, Paul? What is it among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? That's the mystery. That has what is what has been revealed always in the mind of God, but now has been manifested to all the saints. Whereas in the past, God's saving attention and special revelation had been chiefly focused on the nation of Israel. Now it's been opened up. The borders are gone. It is going to the ends of the earth. Whereas in the past, to rightly relate to God, one had to go through Israel's law, through the law of Moses. Now, Because of Christ's death and resurrection, the veil had been torn, and victory over death secured for all who come by faith. Now, no one needs to make sacrifices because of the great sacrifice. No one needs priests because of the great high priest that we have. No one needs the Holy of Holies to draw near the presence of God because the body is the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Christ in you, Paul says, Jew and Gentile alike. All people are invited into saving union with Christ through faith. And because of that, they are given hope of glory in the future. If you haven't read through it recently, if you scan through the book of Acts, this is all what it's about. This transition from Jew to Gentile from Israel to the nations, how the gospel moved from this one people group to all the people groups, and how this great thing has changed, this mystery is unveiled, that's what he's talking about here. This is the truth being made known to the world through the apostles' suffering, his serving, and his teaching. All people, Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, citizen and alien, religious and irreligious, all people, are invited to be united with Christ. You just say, what invaluable, costly, precious news. One of the tragedies, it's also a blessing for us, is that that sounds really normal. Of course, of course we have access to God through Christ. That's all we've ever known, right? Of course I place my faith in Jesus, and I have access to the Father through Christ. That's, of course that's true. But in the first century, it was not of course. In the first century, it was a massive, massive thing that you didn't, no longer had to go through Israel, that the doors had been blown off, and we have access to God by faith. It was earth-shattering. It was precious news, and that's how Paul treats it. Handle it with care. It is so precious and costly. I mean, it happens all the time with things that we own. You buy something new, and you handle it really carefully for a while, right? And it gets its first ding, and you're like, whatever. Or a new model comes out, and you look at the old one, and you're like, ugh, I mean, it's kind of outdated already. We want to trade up. It's kind of, unfortunately, that's us sometimes with the gospel of grace. It's no longer shiny anymore to some of us. It's it's there, we understand, but we've always had it. Is there a new model somewhere? It's kind of got some dings. I've handled it improperly. Maybe it's time to trade up, you know. But no, Paul says, be cautious. There's nothing more precious. There's nothing more beautiful than this gospel. Handle it with extreme care. And because of that, because all people have access to saving union with Christ through faith, he keeps going. He says, because of that, all people are admonished to mature in Christ. Verse 28. We, that's the apostles, proclaim him, that's Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. In Greek, man there is just person. It's people. Every people. You almost hear the inclusivity shoved in our faces. Everyone, everyone, everyone is invited in. The apostles proclaim Christ to all so that they would not only know the salvation that is open to all, but they must grow up in it, They must mature. They must be presented as complete, as perfect in Christ. Because we're all invited in, we're also all invited to grow up in Christ and mature in him. And then finally, all people are called to participate in declaring Christ. Verse 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Because the mystery now revealed is such good, glorious, and hopeful news paul works hard leaning on god's power to fulfill the stewardship he's been given to steward to proclaim it to all so really this new revelation this mystery i don't want to be oversimplistic but it could be boiled down to a single word all 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 are open that's what it comes down to all people jews and gentiles are invited into saving union with christ all people are admonished to mature in Christ. All people are called to participate in declaring Christ all. And that is the new news that Paul got to steward to the world. And I don't need to tell you this, but it's the same news for us today. We are invited to herald the same thing that Paul heralded. We are invited to join him, in a way, into the apostolic rank, to proclaim this same all-encompassing news to the world, telling all people of Jesus' divinity— his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his current intersection, and his soon coronation. We go proclaiming this Christ. That's who we go praying. Like, just like Paul, we stand shoulder to shoulder with Paul and say, believe in this Christ, this good, precious news. And yes, we may suffer as we go, like Paul did. Well, maybe, hopefully not like Paul did, but suffer a little bit. We may suffer. But hopefully, the Lord helps us that we can count it joy because of the beauty and the power of the news we bring. Many of you, no doubt, are familiar with the running race, the marathon, that celebration of masochism. No, I'm just kidding. It's a wonderful event where people run for hours and hours at a time. Many people are familiar with the marathon. Not as many people are familiar with its origin, how it started. It actually started according to legend, quote, that the marathon was inspired by the legend of an ancient Greek messenger who raced from the site of Marathon, a place, to Athens, a distance of about 40 kilometers. That's about the distance of a marathon today. He raced there. Why? With the news of an important Greek victory over an invading army of Persians in 490 BC. They won the victory, and so he started running with the good news to tell his countrymen. It's said in legend that after making his announcement, the exhausted messenger collapsed and died. He suffered to deliver news of victory. We have news of ultimate victory. Ultimate victory. Oh sin, where is your victory? Oh sin, where is your sting? Death, where are you? It's been conquered in Christ, and we get to proclaim that. So we're called to get running. And we may suffer along the way, we may get winded, we may get beat down, but we come with this great news. We're all called to participate in declaring this Christ, and not only the glory of salvation to all, but the glory of maturity to all. All of our family members, all of our coworkers, all of our friends, all of our bosses, all of our church family, all of our government leaders, all of our neighbors, all of our online community, all people all-inclusive, no restrictions. This mystery, this revelation of God has been, that he's been kind enough to make known to us is too good, it's too important, it's too eternally significant to keep to ourselves. It's precious. And so we handle it with intentionality, with urgency, and we handle it with care. But as I said, there are two sides to this handling with care thing. The other side is the vulnerability, the fragility of what we're handling. That's what we see next. This gospel message, it is precious, it is, but it's also vulnerable. It's vulnerable news and needs to be guarded. As we move into chapter two of Colossians, we see that we transition here from this new revelation to the protection of that revelation. And really, it makes sense that something so powerful and beautiful as the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would attract opposition. That makes sense, right? We're dealing with a fight, not with flesh and blood, but with powers beyond us. There's a spiritual war going on, and so when this good news, this powerful news of salvation comes forth, you bet it's going to attract opposition. And Paul felt it. Verse one of chapter two, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, which is a neighboring town. How great a struggle. This same word is used often by Paul to describe the battle to protect the gospel. He heralds this message, and there is opposition time and time again. Just one example. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he writes this. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much Opposition. There's that word again. It's just a struggle. And of course it is. We might say, okay, well, what was the nature of the struggle? Like, I want to know. Was it physical? Was it emotional? Were you just fatigued? What was it? In case you were wondering, he actually brings some clarity for us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Now, if we were to read through Colossians from 1 verse 1 to that point, that verse would be jarring. It'd be shocking, because up until this point of Colossians, Paul has been bragging about the faithfulness of the Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ, the beauty of his revelation, and then he comes along and he says, but I told you all of that for this reason. I wanted you to celebrate the sufficiency of Christ. I wanted you to know your faithfulness. I wanted you to know all of this in your mind for this reason, because there is a very real risk of becoming deceived are becoming tricked, distracted, and lured away from Christ by persuasive argument, by slick speech and thoughtful rhetoric and, and intelligent falsehood. There's a risk. So I want you to know what Christ has done. I want you to know he's sufficient, because there's going to be coming, there's coming messages that say he's not. So you need to know that he is. This battle is not is not just in Colossians either. In Romans chapter 16, verse 18, Paul writes, talking of these people who bring dissension into the church, he says, for such men are slaves, not to our Lord Christ, but of their own, be- their own bellies, their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They slip in, and with their slick words, they lure people away from the security that we have in Christ. Paul's saying, I told you everything so you would know and be aware that this thing needs to be protected. Because yes, it's precious, but it's vulnerable as well. And we need to be on our guard. And brothers and sisters, as you know, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Nothing has changed. As precious as the gospel message is, and it is precious. It's also under attack and vulnerable today. Every generation. This one, the one that was up here today. Every generation. Every home. Every heart must be on guard, must be on guard so as not to be deluded by what might seem like good argumentation and sound reasoning and thoughtful ideology, but that which is in reality Christ-denigrating, soul-killing, joy-stealing, maturity-stunting, deception. It's everywhere. And it would take hours for us to go through and point out all these iterations of the deceptions, and kind of futile, because by the time we finish listing them all, it'd be out of date, because a new one would have arisen by then, right? We could go all day just pointing out all of these deceptions, but we need to know that they come from outside the church, and they come from inside the church all the same—these false teachings looking to drag us away from Christ. We have worldly philosophies like progressive Christianity. Or liberal Christianity. This isn't really the Word of God. It, it contains bits and pieces of the Word of God, some, some worldly wisdom. Lie. We stay away from that nonsense. We get that out of here. That comes from outside the church and inside the church the same. We have social justice movements, confusing what justice actually looks like. We have critical theories, and we have all sorts of things like that secular humanism darwinian naturalism all these things mingled in with christian thought at times and they are deceptive and they are death bringing but they also come from inside the church as i said there are dangers coming from the shelves of christian bookstores the lecterns of christian schools and the pulpits from christian churches lies lies that drag us away and they have a little bit of truth there spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down Here, a little bit of truth. You say, that sounds okay. Some of other stuff is kind of novel to me, but most of it sounds okay. And so we gobble it up. And Paul says here, whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful. Handle with care. This is too precious. It's too vulnerable. Dealing with persuasive arguments like these, these false teachings, it can be a bit like playing whack-a-mole. Remember that game? You focus on one mole, and you hit that guy, and then another one pops up over here, and all day you're just swinging back and forth at these things. And so if we focus just on the false teachings all the time, it can be exhausting, because they just pop up all the time until kingdom come, literally until kingdom come. So it can be exhausting. So the question is, how do we protect ourselves when it is that much of an onslaught? How do we protect ourselves and those around us? How do we guard the gospel entrusted to us, the mystery revealed and suffered for? Well, the answer is that it's here. It's in the church. This is where we protect that precious vulnerable gospel. In fact, in Colossians, it actually tells us that. Paul tells us that protection comes through loving relationships in Christ. Look at verse 1 again of chapter 2. This time, focus on Paul's heart for these people. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face. In other words, he hasn't met them, and he loves them so much that he suffers for them. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. There's the protection, knit together in love. And drop down to verse 5. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So how do we possibly protect ourselves from all the false teaching and slick argumentation out there by people who, let's face it, have more letters behind their name than I have in my name. You know, they're smart people. They're slick. They're convicted. They're convincing. They're popular and charismatic. Who am I to disagree with these people? And they're coming at me from all over the place. How can I survive? The reality is, I don't have much for that. I know that about myself. I can't withstand all of that. And guess what? Neither can you. We are vulnerable. There's too much out there. There's too much slick argumentation. There's too much intelligence. There's too much lies. There's too much all of that. We are vulnerable. We're too weak. This idea of an army of one, going out and taking on the world for Christ, nowhere in Scripture. We're not strong enough for that. The devil is too crafty. The lie is too believable. We are all vulnerable. But together, we stand a chance. That's where it comes in. When we're part of a community built upon the sufficiency of our Savior, like Paul has just celebrated, then we can find protection. When we're part of a community that actually knows us, and actually cares about us the way that Paul cares for these Colossians, whom he's never met, but who he's united with in Christ, then we have a chance. So if you're here today and you don't feel you're connected, you don't feel anyone knows you here, I challenge you, brother, sister, press in. You might say, it's hard to break in. They're clicky. that might be true. Press in, labor on, get known, know other people. That's where we find protection. That's where we are knit together in love. Then we stand a chance. When we have good discipline with one another and have stability in our faith, our shared faith, then we stand a chance. Then we can stand up to all of these lies. I experienced this firsthand. When I came back to the Lord after years of rebellion, I felt the Lord convict me of those sins and send me off to ministry. I was so immature, I didn't know which way he was up. And he sent me to a school, I ended up at a school where I could have been taught anything at that moment. And I would have gobbled it up. I was so raw and just wanted to serve the Lord. All I had was a heart for God, And I knew I wanted to serve him. I had been showered by his grace. Lord, use me. That was my prayer. That makes me very, very vulnerable. Because I am ready to take in anything that someone says, if it will serve those ends, that I want to pay back and and please the the Lord who had just saved me. But the Lord, in retrospect, in his kindness, surrounded me with brothers and sisters in Christ that were mature and strong. Not just at the school, but at our church. Give me a godly wife. All of these things around me to help me to mature and grow up so that eventually I could somewhat protect myself and help protect one another as well. Knit together in love in a community. That was the incubation process for me, and maybe it was for you as well. That is God's design. Protection comes through loving relationships in Christ. But protection also comes through faithful teaching about Christ. That's why he started the way he did in Colossians. Know who Christ is. But that's how he says it here in chapter 2, verse 2 as well. As we keep reading, he says, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is what? Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's an overused illustration, but it's overused for a reason. The illustration of counterfeit money. How can someone tell what counterfeit money looks like? How do we find those counterfeits? Well, you actually train someone to be an expert in the original, in the real thing. You don't train them to identify all the counterfeits, because the new counterfeit will be different, and your your knowledge is obsolete. You train people to be so honed into what the real thing looks like, that when something comes that's not the real thing, you recognize it right away, or at least you say, something's off about that. It's the same thing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing. The more we as believers, we as Christian homes, and we as a local church family, by God's grace, how does he put it, grow in our knowledge of the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, true knowledge of Christ himself. The more we do that, the more equipped we'll be to recognize the counterfeits when they inevitably and aggressively arise. That's how we get ready. If we remain immature, though, we remain unnecessarily vulnerable and easy to fool. Like the child who actually thinks that her dad has her nose. Remember that one? Grab the nose, the kid goes, Oh, my nose! How did you get that? Give me that back! It's funny when a kid does it. It's sad when a 20 year old does it. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, my nose! Oh, that's pathetic. It's the same thing with us believers. We're going to fall for those counterfeits, those fakes, those tricks. Or are we going to grow up? It's okay for a new believer to be fooled by some of these things. Actually, that expect that's why we need the body of Christ. But if we've been a believer for any length of time, we're not growing up and we're still fooled by those silly tricks. That's on us. We need to grow up in Christ. Protection comes through loving relationships in Christ, yes, but it also comes through faithful teaching about Christ, about who he is, what he has done, what he invites us to, and what he demands of us. The more we know that, the more protected we are as we're surrounded by people who love us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is precious. It is so precious. But it's also vulnerable, breakable, and easy to distract from by false teaching. So we must, as a church and the families and individuals, handle it with care, with intentionality, with caution. We've been given a mystery to steward, the best news ever to propagate and protect. It's our job to be intentional with that task, to be thoughtful and cautious. We must know the gospel. We must teach the gospel, suffer the gospel, share the gospel, guard the gospel. We must handle it with care. A number of weeks ago now, I was in a Bible study. I'm part of a Bible study on Thursday nights with a group of men. And one night we came in, and just by habit, we were chatting before the study, and I don't remember which it was, but I I took my copy of the scriptures, and I put it on the coffee table and and placed my phone on top of it. See, some of you are wincing already, because you know where this is going. It was either that, or I put it next to my chair on the floor. And Kevin Buchanan... I think he's here somewhere. Kevin is part of that group. And, and Kevin, he looked over and he said, you know, when I grew up, that would not fly. That's not how you handle the Word of God. You don't put things, anything on top of the Word. You don't put it where people walk. You don't do that. It's the Word of God. And we laughed about it for a bit. <laughs> and it became a pebble in my shoe. I understand that legalism creeps around every corner. But at the same time, he's... Kevin wasn't holding this up as something special, this book, but what it represents. God's word to us, the gospel. How do we handle the gospel? It can almost be a stand-in for how we care for the gospel, how we care for this book. So maybe that would help you this week. I know all week, since that conversation, it's been, like I said, a pebble in my shoe all the time. But this week, especially, as I looked at this text... I'm thinking, I want to handle the gospel with care, but maybe my reminder could be as I handle this book, it's how I handle the gospel with care. Do I protect this? Do I guard this? Do I read this? How am I handling this book? So maybe as you go about your week, if you're still a Luddite like me and you use an actual paper Bible, that might help you. Where you see your Bible and you say, how am I handling this word? Where do I put it? What do I put on top? What does that say? And it just prompts you to think, I need to actually guard the gospel. What this stands for. I need to handle the gospel with care because it is so precious. And it is also very vulnerable. I need to handle it with care. We ask ourselves questions, you know, and I found myself, you know, since that conversation, I I put my Bible down, I take my phone out, I go to put it up. Kevin's watching. Kevin's watching somewhere. He's always watching where the Lord's watching. You need to handle it with care. ask ourselves questions you know how am i growing in my knowledge of christ so as to protect myself and my church family from lies we just made promise we agreed to help these families we said i heard you i do i will we will help and as parents we said we will well how can we do that if we haven't protect the gospel that we're passing on to them we want them growing up in a church where it is preached, it is guarded, it is taught, it is protected so they can grow up knowing it without reservation, clear as day, this is what it is. We as individuals need to grow in our knowledge of Christ so we can see the counterfeits. We see the the whispers even coming from the, within the church and we say, I don't know what it is, but that teaching smells funny. Like it's past its expiration date. That smells funny. That's all we know. That's maybe all we need to know. But we just stay away from things like that. We need to grow, though, in our knowledge of Christ. And we ask ourselves, how am I contributing to the knitting together of this place in love? Remember, that was one of the things that guarded us against the false teaching, against the, the persuasive arguments. How am I contributing to this place growing up in love? And not love like the world talks about love. They don't know what they're talking about. Love like Christ taught us to love, which actually includes us going to one another and saying, brother, sister, I'm concerned about a certain pattern in your life, maybe. There's sin there. And out of love, not out of some sort of worldly idea of judgment, I'm coming to you because I'm concerned. That's love also. But we also encourage, we also, we also bring people up to, to serve the Lord. We're encouraging one another in those ways as well. This, how am I contributing to that? So how am I growing in my knowledge of Christ? And how am I contributing to this place being knit together in love that we may guard, handle with care the gospel given to us? How precious it is and how vulnerable it is as well. We've been given... This to steward, may the Lord help us to steward it well. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons, blogs, and other resources, you can check out our website, OakridgeBibleChapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10:30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.